Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a fan of Mario Bava, so I'm extremely excited to be discussing Shock, which is Dan's pick for this fortnight. Now, the cover says it's a film by Mario Bava, but it's actually a collaboration by Mario and his son Lamberto, who appears in a couple of cameos in the movie. Co-written and co-directed by Lamberto actually feels more like one of his movies than Mario's, but sadly it would be Mario's final movie. He died of a heart attack a few years later. Dan, now I've given a bit of background on this movie. Why did you choose it? Why did you want to do it this fortnight? So this is a story about how Dan thought this was a different film. Oh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I have have seen Shock before. I don't know what I thought I was getting. Oh. Uh, I've done a little bit of reading, and I think maybe I thought Shock was Torso. Oh. I need to rewatch Torso. Yeah, right? Like they're not the same. No. Um I, I feel like the you know the the artwork for Shock with the face in the fence with the, the yeah. Stanley knife. Has that been used on other films? <laughs> well, Dan, actually the release has got an interesting cover like on the front, which isn't kind of my favourite. Well, Doesn't feel very representative. Sl- but yeah. as you say, the original poster is there if you flip the cover. And that poster yeah. does indeed have an interesting origin. Shay actually showed this to me. The poster was originally a book cover for Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which this poster completely lifted, changing small details, which means that even the poster kind of fits quite well into the Italian rip-off genre. Not that Shock is a, a, a rip-off movie, though there are shared elements with The Shining, though in this case The Shining would be the rip-off because it was released three years after this movie but yes your your instincts are correct you have seen this before it was on the cover of shirley jackson's we have always lived in the castle which is an amazing book which i definitely haven't read so mystery <laughs> continues. <laughs> yeah it's an interesting one i am gonna be completely honest and say it left me a little cold like there's a lot of great stuff in it and there's a special effect right near the end that uh, i'm not gonna spoil but that a lot of you even if you haven't seen the movie will probably have seen it it's a gif but it's also like i've been sent it by like three or four directors over my career and i never remembered what it was from or at least if they told me i you know i didn't pass it it's yeah it's it's an interesting one it's i think the premise is better than the execution and i think that's probably because lamberto was you know this this movie was essentially to shepherd lamberto in to be Mario's successor. He'd been assisting him for years and Mario knew he wasn't going to be around forever. And here was here was his chance to, to get his son that the next step on the ladder. See um, it's you not say a, that, it's you not say that film. you say that, but I think that I mean that it's obviously out there, that is an official story about this film. But I'm not sure how true it is because like the interview with Lamberto on this disc, which is fucking amazing, it's a treasure. Yeah. And to hear him describe showing the movie to an audience of 5,000 and revealing their reaction to the the sequence that you're talking about, the the gif moment, what a gem. It's a wonderful interview. But like the way he talks about it, it's like, yeah, I directed a lot of it, mostly the talking scenes. 
because my dad would say, ah, can't be bothered with this today. You do it. <laughs> Isn't that how a father gets his son who shies away from the idea of charity yeah. to hone his uh, craft interacting with actors? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's like, Lamberto, I can tell you've got an eye for a set piece. Yeah. You've inherited it. It's genetic. And that would bear out in Lamberto's career because Lamberto had an eye for a set piece. But he's like, I'm a little worried about your ability to direct actors. And that would bear out. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, okay, I'll do all the showy camera biz. Yeah. I want you to take over all the dialogue. I just want to know that you've got that like down. But he can't be like, hey, my boy, I'm bringing you in to the other family, the film family. Uh, he's got to be like, oh, I can't be bothered with this. You do it, and then yeah, that, uh, and then the that's probably fair like, enough. Oh, Papa, <laughs> that's fair enough. Because I mean, uh, Mario Bava was certainly was invested in in this movie and making this movie. Like, there's a wonderful moment in the interview where I'm going to talk around this moment because again, a bit of a spoiler, but there's a sequence in the film that is very beautiful, very beautifully done, and we're told that Bava just came up with it during the shoot and came in with some diagrams about how he he wanted it to be achieved. And we actually see those diagrams in the edit, which is so special for me uh, as a fan of this film. This should have been my choice, Dan, because <laughs> I do absolutely love this film. And, and actually, this... this and, you is... knew, and you knew which film it was, Sam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not only you know was I a fan already going into this release, but this is a dream release for me because it's one of those that actually increases my respect for the movie. Like, there is a wonderful video essay by Alexandra Helen Nicholas, which is just a beautiful piece of work. And her analysis completely changed the movie uh, for me it gave me a new level of respect for what the barvers were doing here it's just a brilliant brilliant analysis and yeah just seeing those like behind the scenes moments and you know hearing lamberto talk about the process it's a kind of lengthy interview yeah it's just wonderful and i love the moment where like <laughs> he's talking about kind of the genesis of this project and how it actually you know was first discussed like in the 60s and they almost did it in the 70s but mario decided to do a, a different film and Lamberto's like, oh, what's the name of that film that he did instead? And it's A Bay of Blood. Now, I, I <laughs> well, can understand his can... confusion because that film has yeah, about a million, a million different names. titles. <laughs> but, but still, like the idea that like <laughs> one of the most influential turning point Italian movies, well, movies full stop, like that is one of the most influential movies ever made from a certain horror perspective. Yeah, the idea that he's like, oh, what was that one again? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a great deal more to say about this one. I mean, this, the sequence that Dan talks about that the directors have sent him, you know, the gif of or whatever, it does appear yeah. in Annabelle. It was ripped off in Annabelle, so you may know yeah. what we're it's talking about It's a one hour 27 there. if you want to jump to it. Yeah, and it's fucking amazing. Like, I mentioned it's the shine. It's genuinely great. Yeah, I mentioned The Shining earlier. I think that that is a sequence that's the equal of anything in Kubrick's movie. Like, the first time I saw it, it absolutely blew my mind, and I just rewound it over and over again. It's such a brilliant moment. So, it's yeah. It's so well done. The timing is so good. Just, just incredible. And again, in the interview, Lamberto was like, oh, yeah, I saw, you know, there was a corridor, and, yeah, I thought it could work. Like, he's so kind of surprisingly humble 
I love it. I love it. I love it. Any more to say on Shock, Dan? Did you enjoy the commentary? Uh, yeah, really good commentary. Tim Lucas, always very, very good. Uh, yeah. Super exhaustive. No one knows Barva like Tim knows Barva. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's like being cornered at a party by IMDb, but you like it. well i actually on that i said a great commentary from tim lucas who's always great company it's like hanging out with an interesting friend who knows a lot about movies so that's kind of what you're saying too Uh... (laughs) but it's an info dump like because it's one way so i I think i have a lot of friends dan present company included (laughs) who are good at talking at me about movies Well, info dumping is one of my symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to recommendations based on oh, the movie. One no, tiny last little thing I'll say, just because it's in my notes, my relatively scant notes. For those of you who keep an eye on such things as I do, it's the only film I've seen in any of the Italian genres where this is applicable, where there is a whole case of J and B. Yes. Yes, I noticed. Not that just too. a bottle. Not just a bottle, like most of these films. These guys, and and not the full serving set, the jug and glasses that they have in Giallo and Venice. But this has a full case of J&B on the side. Like, this family buy it in bulk, yeah. which I think explains a lot. I, yeah, it really does. I mean, they've they've got you know they've got a lot to to forget and to suppress potentially. No spoilers. I'm going to jump ahead to my past couple of weeks recommendations very quickly because I watched Arabella Black Angel for the first time this week, and that is the opposite. In the very early on in that movie, she's drinking from a demi bottle of J and B whiskey. So yeah, that was quite funny to see as well. But more about that in the past couple of weeks section. But for now, I'm doing like a mad you know. This is almost as mad as shock itself to jump ahead to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks when we haven't even done recommendations based on the movie. So, Dan, what are you recommending based on shock? I'm recommending you go to eBay and track down a VHS copy (laughs) of James Kelly and uncredited, if you're watching the English language version, Andrea Bianchi of Strip Nude for Your Killer, which should give you an indication of the kind of tone you're getting into. Uh, From 1972, it's Night Hair Child, a.k.a. What the Peeper Saw. Not to be confused with Night Child, which is an Arrow title and very worth watching, although that is another title under which this was released. There's a Blu-ray in the States that says it's uncut. It's not fully uncut. You you get the gist of the movie without the missing stuff, but if you do want to see it uncut, you're going to have to dig out an old VHS or or a... uh, a duplicate, maybe a digitalization of an old VHS. It's it's a, an absolutely crazy movie. Britt Eklund in a in a main starring role. Although the uh, the advertised lead was Mark Lester, who was the young boy from Oliver, the titular character from Oliver, and it plays into a lot of the same stuff as Shock, although it goes in a different direction with it. You've got a a stepmother in this one rather than a stepfather in Shock played by Eklund she's got a, a slightly weird son there might be a like a, a, a slightly psychosexual relationship going on there which is again alluded to in in shock but as I mentioned before Andrea Bianchi apparently Bianchi was brought on board specifically to make the film more exploitational and oh boy like, it, it, like some people complain the film's a mess those people are idiots this film is absolutely fantastic a stepmother is dealing with her freshly expelled although that's not immediately apparent stepson 
they vie for the affections of the father character and there is a lot more going on beneath the surface than is immediately apparent mm-hmm. it's got a fantastic ending and i really really strongly recommend you track down the the film in any version wonderful wonderful excellent that's a great recommendation and and fits slightly with my first recommendation based on shock which is you'll die at midnight aka midnight killer which is probably my favorite lamberto barber movie midnight killer is an absolutely delirious giallo barber second of the genre it is super fun even if father you know had a difficult relationship with the genre he said i find doing scenes where women get stabbed to death repugnant Dario Argento does it so well, but I feel sick as soon as I see the knife in the murderer's hand, end quote. So yes, nice guy Lamberto. He doesn't like knives, but he does like egg beaters, as you'll see in this nutty movie. (laughs) (laughs) Midnight Killer, I recommend it. Dan, what's next from you? It's a tiny little American film from 2005 by Ian Softley called Skeleton Key. Maybe you've heard of it. Yes, I have heard of it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Kate Hudson in a sweaty bayou horror. I think it's got a lot of connections to shock. Yeah, thematically, I really like it. It, 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 like it's one of these ones that comes up in conversation occasionally, and everyone always talks about it as though no one else has ever heard of it. Um, although the the number of times I've had that conversation would indicate the opposite. But but as a result, I think there's probably quite a few people out there who haven't seen it. I like a I like a bayou set genre film, and it's got a really nice sort of like sweaty claustrophobic feel to it it's a good ghost movie it's a Mm. really good ghost movie yeah well worth watching i tell you who has heard of it jordan peele i'll say no more than that but people (laughs) all right my next recommendation is the beyond could have gone for this or the house by the cemetery but the beyond is probably my favorite fulci film and like barva's shock has a spooky central location from which all sorts of very surreal stuff springs I would love Arrow to put out a 4K release of this perfect movie. But until then, there is an old Arrow Blue that you can try to track down. If you haven't seen it, it's unlikely that if we're listening to this, you haven't seen The Beyond. But if you haven't seen it, it is a beautiful masterpiece, especially the superb final act. This one has one of my favourite endings ever, ever. And just so much cool, weird shit. The Beyond, I highly recommend it. So beautiful. The yeah. uh, Those matte paintings, Sam. Oh, just stunning. Those scenic backdrops. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, and one of the very first Thank You Blu-rays. Not the first. Do you remember the uh, the Thank You Blu-ray from The Beyond? It's, I, it's rare I, in that it's not genital related. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so long, actually, since we watched it. What what was the, the Thank You Blu-ray moment? There's a, a, a car pulls up at the oh, hotel. Yeah. And yeah. it has a like an I Love Jesus yes. uh, sticker on the bumper yes. that we'd never seen before. Yeah, and it, it recontextualises the character. It, <laughs> yeah. it really, like, it, yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. A lovely little bit of production design. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you been watching? I watched Child's Play. Not that one. <laughs> From 1972, Sidney Lumet's Child Play oh, with James nice. Mason just acting his little socks off i absolutely loved it it's got boarding school angst it's got kids gone bad it at times it's got a little bit of kill a child to it it's absolutely fantastic it's got two narratives that run alongside each other and then maybe they're connected a spate of violent outbursts at a boarding school coincide with the arrival of a new teacher an ex-student himself who 
is forced into colleague status with James Mason's Latin teacher who terrified him as a child and who is being tormented by like phone calls and, and abusive messages from who he thinks is another teacher who's after his position at the school. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic movie with a, a, a pretty great ending as well. Awesome. Excellent. I mentioned it before that I'd watched Arabella Black Angel, which is the first film from Vinegar Syndrome's Forgotten Jali Volume 3 box set that I've watched. It is almost impossibly sleazy and very, very fun. Dan, do not watch this one. Just I'm going to say that out, have out it, right so now. I'm yeah. watch it. <laughs> well, good luck. It follows a woman who accidentally cripples her husband while giving him a blowjob after their wedding before going on to have sex with pretty much everyone she meets. Only someone is killing the men she sleeps with. Who could it be? Ah, uh, Arabella Black Angel is wonderful. Shay and I were howling through most of it. It's just ridiculous fun. I very much recommend it. If you can overlook some kind of very difficult, problematic stuff in the mix there. But yeah, I, we, we really enjoyed it, Shay and I. So yeah, Arabella, Black Angel, uh, I recommend it. I'm still working my way through the Forgotten uh, Jello box sets, but I have all of them, and some of them it's like, oh, I get, I get why that's forgotten. But there's some <laughs> gems in there as well. I'll get to it. Like it's... fuck, man, I, I, I name check Jello in Venice already, so it's not like I'm scoring high on the. Oh, he only likes the non-problematic stuff. <laughs> what, I, watches. I'm not. I don't know if I like Jello in Venice, but. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it's, I it's... watch highbrow stuff, Sam. Yes, <laughs> you do, and I'm sure there's one coming around the corner. But one last thing on Arabella Black Angel, actually, the soundtrack is immense. It's so good, so good. We didn't right talk about the, the soundtrack on Shock. The old Libra. Oh. Yes. We yeah. are jumping back and forward again now, but yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't quite fit. It's great, but it doesn't quite fit. I well, so what's weird is when I, th- you know, I thought I I knew what film I was getting into, and then as it started to play out i'm like well this this isn't where i thought i was but it's a soundtrack that i've had in my mix for years so i've listened to it hundreds of times oh wow so that always like puts a very weird spin on a film like how a film is how you watch a movie when yeah when it's something that you you're so familiar with the soundtrack too and i've had that with with giallo's i've watched for the first time where i've listened to the soundtrack like maybe it's something that morricone did or freezy did and so i've heard the soundtrack before i've seen the movie that again always like adds a weirdness to the to the watching of it Uh, i actually wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happens with you for arabella black angel yeah okay well maybe i'll bump that up the list a little bit i I was going through the sets consecutively but but i'll do I'll, i'll i'll put it to the top yeah, no, it's a good one. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, the music is so good. It must be in your mix somewhere. Let's find out. But anyway, what's next from you recommendations-wise? It's Jan Nemec's Diamonds of the Night uh, from 1964. A near-silent black-and-white tale of two young boys who managed to escape a train heading to a concentration camp and following oh, wow. them through the countryside as they attempt to evade the Nazis. It's a a stark look at how people in a country that is being torn apart by war respond to the politics of the world around them. 
there's never been a more timely time to watch it. Uh, there's a second run Blu-ray in the UK, which is how I saw it. It's on Criterion in the States. I assume it's on the player. But yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. It's it's not very long. It's only a little over an hour, I think. But it's a, yeah, it's a it's a really fantastic film to sort of sit and stew in. Nice. And, I, and I watched it after after wanting to to sort of revisit that feel after come and see and it definitely delivered it's not quite as bleak it's still pretty bleak sam still pretty bleak fantastic say the title again diamond of night or diamond of the night beautiful excellent all right well i will hunt that out on the criterion channel fingers crossed it's on there you never know yeah, Criterion you'll want channel. To, it, that's not the title it's on imdb under right i think it's under its original language title on imdb i couldn't find it on imdb but okay. wikipedia have it under that title and if you nice. google that you'll find it nice criterion channel is fucking amazing and it is i don't think we've ever recommended it because we're always talking about the extraordinary arrow streaming service but if you can afford to get the criterion channel because even though there's a pretty constant churn like a lot of stuff comes in and a lot of stuff leaves month to month presumably because of the licensing deals being kind of unique in the case of criterion but the solid core stuff that stays on there is some of the greatest films you'll ever see and it's a lot of it is stuff that we've recommended on the podcast in the past there's just some magnificent some of the best films you will ever see are constant on that channel so that's a big recommendation however my next recommendation is not on criterion channel another seamless transition there it is something that i'm professional yeah it's something that i mentioned last time memories of murder when i was talking about mother i do want to highlight this one kind of separately because yeah it's it's another extraordinary kind of crime thriller that has shared elements with mother but it's very much its own thing like zodiac it's based on a case that was unsolved when the movie was made and like fincher's zodiac it is a towering achievement a brilliant character study with one of the most memorable endings i've ever seen the final shot which obviously i'm not going to spoil here is true genius it has layered meanings especially if you're someone specific in the audience that's all i'll say about that but hopefully you'll get what i mean when you see it i loved this film and it gets better and better the more i think about it too some of the character arc stuff in in this what each kind of cop represents and how they change kind of physically and mentally is just just beautifully done beautifully done so yeah memories of murder if you haven't seen it another massive recommendation an experience you'll never forget Uh, ah i didn't mean to i didn't mean to do that I didn't mean to say an experience you'll never forget when it's called Memories of Murder. That was not a pun. It just is very memorable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Had you seen it before, Sam? Was this a first watch? It was a first watch, yeah. Oh, what a treat. It's so good. Yeah. Just perfection. It's Just so perfection. Good. Yeah, um, yeah. It's on. It is on. It's on Criterion Disc in the states. So maybe yes, it, maybe it is on Criterion Player. It, oh, is it, it not? I saw it on Hulu. So yeah. Uh, okay. But sometimes okay. they do have crossovers. So maybe I just didn't search for it. I kind of stumbled across it. I'm like, oh, this is one that's been on my list for ages. I just stick this on, and I was absolutely captivated from oh, start to finish. It's so good. I yeah, yeah. yeah it's it, it's one of my favorite Bong Joon Ho films. It's so good. Yeah. What a script, so, Dan. Yeah. What a script. Oh, like and just like the frustrations of the young man who's brought in, yeah, like, having to deal with how these guys do stuff. Oh, 
it's yeah like it's like everything in that film is palpable it's so good yeah really really. um there's a there's a uk blu-ray of it packaged with barking dogs never bite another bong joon ho picture like a nice yeah it's i mean like it's weird because because it's a korean film and because it's from you know over 20 years ago it's kind of like it's seen as like content rather than cinema in a lot of ways by distributors which is insane i mean like the fact that it's on criterion in the in the states should should tell you everything you need to know about its place in cinema but the fact that it's being bundled in the uk now is, is shocking but you know what one man's idiotic choice about marketing is another man's affordable blu-ray so. <laughs> yeah really big recommendation from both of us on that one yeah all right cool. well extra features extra features extra features extra features extra features I have an extra feature. I have one extra feature. It's late. It's late. It's for last last episode. Do you remember how we talked about the burn in Frankenstein? And I said that yeah. I wanted to talk to someone about how a, a burn like that might be achieved. Yeah. Well, I I spoke with my my dear friend and I, I you know film nerd to shame the rest of us, and also incredibly proficient stunt coordinator and burn artist peter pedrero about how one would achieve uh, a burn like that all right and, and i'll share that with you now let's have a little listen so i'm uh, joined now by peter pedrero um uh, a dear friend and a fantastic uh, stuntman stunt coordinator um peter i've just found out that you actually worked on mary shelley's frankenstein I did, yes. I wasn't a stuntman at the time. Um, I was still just finishing my stunt qualification training. And I got a phone call from one of the agencies that I used to work for saying, was I available for possibly a month's work? Um, They needed some current photos. They couldn't tell me what it was because it was all top secret. Uh, Even as a background artist at the time, you know, there'd be projects that, you know, NDAs didn't really kind of exist for extras, but, you know, they would ask you availability. And then obviously if you got the job, then you knew what it was. And we all were kind of guessing, I wonder what job this is. And we'd heard that Frankenstein was being made. Um, and that's what it ended up being. I ended up becoming uh, De Niro or the sharp featured man. Uh, body double, there was two of us. There was Steve Morphew, a good colleague of mine who's a uh, stand-in and, you know, AD, or he's an AD now, uh, who actually was, you know, the stand-in. And then I became like the creature double because I had a sort of a similarity to him, um, to De Niro and, uh, so that was basically it. So I had a lot of prosthetics done and loads of stuff, you know, in shots where it was me. Um, and then Graham Crowther, who's the stuntman who obviously doubled De Niro all the way through. And at the time, like I said, I wasn't a stuntman, but uh, that was, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Shot at Shepard Amazing. Wow. So I, I originally reached out to you because I wanted, you know, if there's people who know you in the industry, I mean, you're a fantastic coordinator and, and all-round stunt performer. But if there's one thing you're known for, it's your absolute love of being on fire. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, and obviously, I don't know where that fascination came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the one of the sort of principal moments, one of the most exciting moments in the film, is uh, is the is Helena Bonham Carter's burn at the end. Um, and I wondered if you'd give us a little bit of insight into what it's like to to go through you know both the technical side of it the preparation that one has to go through for a burn like that but also what the experience is like um yeah i mean the, the burn on frankenstein uh, is an amazing burn a stunt coordinated by simon crane and performed by a stunt uh, performer called tracy eden who did an amazing job 
Um, and fire stunts have kind of progressed in the preparation. I mean, it's exactly the same as have always been done. You know, you're covered in a flammable uh, liquid um, and you're set on fire. But obviously, you know, it's, it's the process of what you wear uh, to protect your face and your body, obviously, so you don't get burnt, apart from a costume. Uh, and it's, it's, it's still the same system, but obviously it's progressed where there's very good protective gels, um, you know, silicon gauntlets that you wear, you know, or a facial mask that obviously replicates the actor's face. Uh, which is fireproof, which you've made for me on, on countless occasions that obviously, you know, that we've done, Yeah. Uh, you know, where I've had my head, you know, set on fire or my whole body on fire, but, you, you know, where you've cast uh, the actor's face and then obviously, you know, which I've worn and then obviously, you know, I look like the guy, the actor on fire. But the process, <laughs> uh, yeah, the process has changed dramatically from, from the original days of when, you know, when stomach used to get set on fire. Um, Frankenstein, if I'm not mistaken, was 93, I think it was. It was about 93. Yeah, 93. released 94. Yeah. Yeah. So it was 93 that it was shot. I mean, um, and yeah, I mean, the process that we that you would normally have is you have a, a, a water based gel, which is basically specifically um, like it's like the stuff that you have in a burns unit. So if you get burnt, you know, obviously you don't, you don't just put water to cool you down because, you know, water will just, you know, will just run off and just evaporate. Um, yeah. You have a gel, which basically is a water gel, which um, was devised by a company called Zeller Enterprises. And um, so basically, you know, you have uh. Formula Yeah, you, you wear normally Formula, Formula One racing underwear, uh, which is completely soaked, you know, in, in this substance, which kind of it has the impression of looking like wallpaper glue. Um, and it's very cold. You keep it in, in a fridge. And the process that you wear, you know, you could have one pair of dry underwear, which you put on then a pair of wet, which is completely soaking in this stuff. I mean, you know, as you know, you seem to be prepared, you know, you're shivering because it's really, really cold. And then you have another dry pair on top and then you, you put a fire suit on. Uh, the process, or the actual reason that you wear the gel is not that the gel is fireproof, it's a coolant. So obviously what it does is for any heat that would go through, obviously it's a barrier and it has a high tolerance of, before it evaporates. That's why... When you get prepared, you want to obviously get prepared and do the stunt as soon as possible because obviously your body starts to warm up. The minute obviously you put all this cold stuff on, your body to protect itself starts to warm up. And what you don't want it to do is to evaporate. So normally to get prepared from the minute you've rehearsed your stunt to when you're on set, it can be about 20 minutes, maybe 25. And you'll have a group of people who will obviously assist you because it, it is a big process. So you know, once you've gone down to your, you know, your underpants, um, you know, you'd put on a pair of, let's say, dry um, Nomex underwear, which look like, you know, long johns and a, and a, and a long, you know, T-shirt. And then you put on the one that's completely drenched, which, you you know, you kind of scoop of all the stuff and you put it on. And that's when you start to shiver. The next part is putting another dry on. So you kind of have three layers of, of, of underwear. Uh, and then you would put your fire suit on, which that's normally, you know, a three-layer racing fire suit that you would wear for Formula One. Then after that, you then would start putting your costume. Now, your costume is normally prepared in a way that it's it's covered with a thing like called flame check, which is what you put on curtains in theatres and stuff to become slightly fire retardant. Even though your costume is going to be set on fire, it just prolongs the amount of time that the costume won't fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless the character's wearing gloves or something, what you normally would have made would be, they are gloves, but they're, they're cast on your hands. So they look like your hands, but they're actually silicon. Um, and you obviously would wear those with a pair of fire gloves underneath. And the same thing with your face. You would have a, a face either, you know, in the old days with alginate and you now you would do a head cast and then you'd mould it either with a scream, um, you know, with some kind of, you know, pain in your face. And that would be the mask that you'd wear or it'd just be you with a grimace. 
uh, with 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 fireproof glass lenses, um, and then obviously your costume on top. Then you know you'd be you know escorted to the set where you've rehearsed. You'd have your team of special effects and stunts standing by, and obviously you would then be glued up. You know, and it's normally like a rubber adhesive, like carpet glue. Uh, and depending on what your colour of your costume is, because carpet glue is kind of brown, you would normally put like, you know, a bit of powder. And it's obviously, you know, if it's a black costume, put some black powder. Um, you'd be covered from your back, your legs, your arms, up to your kind of chest level, um, all over. You would then um, have someone with a spritzer with IPA, which is isoline propylene, which is, you know, alcohol, what makeup artists use, um, yeah, just yeah. to kind of wet it. And then you obviously would be set on fire, which could either be manually with someone with a torch, you know, with a flambeau, or if it, you know, if it's someone's going to throw like a, a lantern at you, that obviously, so, you know, you put a bit of IPA on the floor, someone would throw a lantern, obviously it goes up and then you would go up immediately. Um, but that's the actual burn. The, the process of actually performing the burn is you do it as a breath hold. So there has been a few devices where they've been, you know, hidden like, you know, little like breathing tubes and stuff with a, with a you know, with an air, air canister. Um, I have never really met anyone in the industry that's ever used one of those, even though they have existed. Uh, normally it's a breath hold. So, you know, you would have a countdown as you're glued up, you know, you would obviously have the stunt coordinator calling down, you know, standing by, ready to hold your breath and three, two, one. And on the counts, you're doing your, you know, your deep breathing on one. Once you've got your breath hold, you'd give the thumbs up and then straight away you'd be lit. And, you know, you'd do your flaying about your performance crashing into stuff. But obviously you can't speak. And if you were to get into any difficulty, you can't actually ask for help because obviously you're holding your breath. Um, so what you would do is your your um, your your, court, your way of getting put out, if there was to be a problem, is that obviously the minute you go onto the ground, okay, you put your arms to the side like a star. And that's the cue for your team to come in and put you out with the CO2s. But then if you wanted a shop where, let's say for instance, the poor former, has to crawl along the ground because someone watching you doesn't know if you're in trouble or not. At what point if yeah, you're yeah. in trouble, uh, do they know to go in? So obviously safety is the most important thing, but if someone then goes in, putting you out and then obviously, you know, unfortunately ruins the shot, that means you have to then go again, which is a massive preparation and a cost. So you obviously beforehand, you work out a signal. And the main thing is obviously, apart from you feeling hot spots where your costume has started to, um, to disintegrate, is the actual heat of the actual flame, the, the glue, going through so that's what you don't want you want you don't want hot spots because obviously when they put you out the heat carries on transferring through that you can probably tolerate to a certain point the worst part is obviously if you were to breathe in obviously you've got flames all around you you're liable to breathe in through the mask obviously flames which is what you don't want so if you found that you were going to get into a difficult position where you can't hold your breath anymore um, you know you'd go straight onto the floor at that point, normally, when you've laid on the floor, any glue and fire at the front would be put out because you're lying on the, on the ground. Uh, and you might be able yeah. to take a cheeky breath, a cheeky breath. But, you know, you, the, the fire team are normally in within seconds. You know, you hear out, which means don't breathe in, because once they hit you with the CO2, if, if you breathe in the CO2, then you'll obviously, because obviously it, it cuts the oxygen, um, you'll start yeah, to yeah. kind of choke. Um, but like I said, normally, you know, you'll pace the stunt, um, unless you're told, well, we only want 20 seconds. And if, the, if it's going on longer, I mean, I've done a couple of burns where I went longer than what was expected. And I was actually getting told, obviously, you know, shouting off camera uh, on a bullhorn, you know, Pete, go down, because that was enough. You go down, you get put out. Um, but like I said, sometimes if the costume 
not that it's not being prepared. It's just, it's just, it's luck of the draw. You know, I've done a couple where I'm performing, it's great, and all of a sudden I've I've started to feel like pins and needles in my arm, which means that obviously, you know, that part of the costume uh, has disintegrated. The fire suit hasn't burned, or th that nothing's gone through, but the heat obviously has penetrated. Hence the gel. The gel is that barrier, which stops. It's like, a, like I said, it's like a force field. But obviously, at some point, the gel does warm up and then becomes like warm slush. And obviously the effectiveness of it goes. So that's why when you get prepared, you normally, from the minute you step on set, if it's taking 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, you need to go straight away because obviously otherwise after that, you're basically just wearing like, you know, wet, gooey underwear, which doesn't really have the properties to, to protect you from the heat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the normal things, once you've been put out, what you normally would have, you'd have someone standing by with a spare uh, fire extinguisher because it has been known that you get put out, but you reignite. You know, you go back up. So before they take off your face mask, obviously they need to make sure you're not going to reignite. But then you normally, someone will shout out, do you have any hot spots? Which means, can you feel the heat anywhere on your body? Because with the CO2, yeah. it'll put out the external flame, but not the heat that might have gone through. And if you point somewhere, you normally put a wet towel or get thrown a bucket of water on that section and the water completely douses the heat. Uh, and that's basically it. I mean... Um, wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's the kind of... Uh, the process, but the process that I use now is that I don't use a fire suit. Um, you know, other people have kind of experimented and I just normally just wear the underwear and then basically like a, like a sauna plastic suit, which basically all that does is it keeps the moisture in because if you put a costume on, obviously the gel then goes through the fire suit or, you know, from the underwear and it soaks into the costume, which makes the costume obviously slightly damp from when you put the glue on it. Um mm. And three layers of underwear, you know, is for me, is being, and it, what it does, it makes your movements much more natural because it's quite difficult to move around and not look like a robot when you're flaying around on fire, especially when you're holding your breath. You know, if, if any of the viewers just decide to have a little try, just hold your breath in a deep breath and move around like you're on fire. It, it, it feels very robotic because you're not exciting and moving, you know, you're holding your breath. So if you're doing it with less, less of a costume, less like less protection, then your movements will feel a bit more natural, even though it's still a bit robotic. But it is, it is that's the hardest part to master, is to not look like you're just kind of, you know, a robot, you know, on fire. Um, <laughs> and obviously, when you're, holding your, when you're holding your breath, it's quite difficult to kind of like act naturally, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, it's, I mean, I've I've seen you on fire so many times now, and, and you know, and, and members of your team, and it never fails to be both exhilarating and terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know whether my fascination for a fire came from. I mean, I think it's, it's just exciting to watch. And I like the process of, of you know, of, of obviously working out, you know, all right, why does the guy get set on fire? What's the aftermath? You know, is it a zombie? Does he come back? Are you fighting on fire? Um, and, you know, and it is a spectacular thing to watch. And then the preparation, obviously, you know, it's something that out of all the stunts that you can perform, it's the one, you know, I mean, a high fall, a car, you know, car stunts, they all, they, they all have their element of danger, but a fire stunt for, you know, for what it is obviously has, you know, if, if you, if you, if you're someone obviously at the, for whatever reason panics and you breathe in, then the damage done to you, if you're unfortunate is, is horrendous. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, yeah. um, you know, you wear protective clothing, but obviously it's the holding of the breath, you know, making sure that you can perform. But again, if, you know, for me, before I did my first ever body burn, I'd assisted on a load of safety. You know, so, you know, there's where you learn because obviously other other people have pioneered it and it's constantly changing. Like I said, gels now, there's a special gel, which is called a you know, skin fire gel, and you can do burns directly onto the skin. 
um, you know, wow. which I remember the first time I saw it, it was like, they must be wearing a whole body silicon suit, but it wasn't. I mean, you could, you could see it was slightly translucent, but it was an incredible yeah. gel. I mean, basically, you know, this particular gel, the property that it's got in it, you know, and with the glue, you can actually do someone basically in a bare top on their head without, you know, I mean, that's a skill, not so much the performance, which is obviously a big skill. It's the actual preparation because obviously there, yeah, yeah. the only thing between you getting burnt is this gel, the way you've prepared it and you can't have any gaps because obviously it'll be directly onto your skin. Um, and it is amazing to watch. Um, but again, the preparation of that is much, much more complicated, you know, and much more refined than a full body burn, you know? I remember you uh, you showed me that stuff when we were doing Free Fire and I actually got, uh, you did a little a little patch of it on my arm and it was quite astonishing how, yeah, like, you know, I, I probably only, like, I only had it for I think the first time I had you on fire was at a barbecue and we, we sprung it on your wife. You were flipping over yeah, some surprised, burgers. Surprised Jen with and a then your arm caught on fire. <laughs> and I, and yeah, we, we did it. I mean, obviously you were very safe, but I think obviously the shock of your arm on fire at a stuntman's barbecue. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, but when that we did it on free which was great. I, I loved it. I loved the look on everyone's face, but obviously, you know, yeah, I've got... I've got, I've got reprimanded after um but when, we did, <laughs> when we did free fight it was um the idea was to obviously have our one of our leads Charlotte copley to actually uh, to be able to do part of the burn himself uh which yeah. we had the main, the main stunt done by john sharp um, when the flame comes underneath the door but you know i remember suggesting to our director ben if it was possible if, if he'd be happy to have actually our actor and you know we went through all the tests for insurance purposes and our actor smashed it. I mean, you know, he was very safe, but it looked incredible. He was he super into it as well. Charlton yeah, was, was great to, to work with. He was so so into it, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he loved it. And, you know, I mean, the main thing is, you know, when you have an artist, obviously, you know, it's not even about taking, you know, we, we take care with stunts or with anyone, but obviously the nature of what we do, that's what we do. We do a job of a hazardous nature, which obviously Definitely. everything's rehearsed and planned, but there's always that element that something can go slightly wrong. But with an actor, obviously you can't, you know, it's you can't afford for even for a scratch. Um, and he did phenomenal. He did a great job, and you know, we we, we took our time preparing it, and the results, I think, looked really, really good. Um, well, when the uh, when this episode goes out, I'll uh, I'll share some of the behind the scenes videos on on social media as well of that. Oh, that was, yeah, one of my one of my favourite burns I've ever seen you coordinate, John. I've I, got a lovely slow motion shot of John catching on that, and it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you know, you're kneeling down. Uh, he wasn't wearing a mask. Um, you know, the idea is that, you know, petrol has been pulled underneath the door. You know, he's trying to knock down, the, hit the door with an axe. And then all of a sudden, you know, our other hero or anti-hero throws a lighter. The light, the flame goes underneath the door and he goes up. And it was, as, 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 as a bit of art, it was, it's just beautiful. It just looks, it's, it's, you know, how can someone be so on fire look beautiful? But it did, it looked amazing. And then the fact that oh, we have yeah. our artist getting up, trying to put himself out with a fire extinguisher, uh, looked great, great piece of filmmaking. Um, I have uh, I have one last question for you before we before we wrap up. What's your what's your favourite burn? Not necessarily that you've done, but just from film that you've seen. What's your favourite burn? Favourite burn? Um, oh, let me think. I mean, I think recently. Um, I mean, being an avid fan. I mean, I didn't perform it. I actually was there for the safety side of it. Was on Game of Thrones, uh, where they did. I think it was on the first one we were out in Spain. It was about 20 people on fire. And oh, yeah. With the dragon. And we had a robot arm, like the bolt arm, but with a flamethrower on it. Um, so it would do the same movement all the time. And 
that that was because that was epic because you had so many people on fire in one go, uh, and the ground was on fire. I mean, it was it was incredible. I mean, the amount of heat. Uh, I remember, you know, I remember obviously with the preparation. I mean, it was, um, you know, it was a phenomenal stunt sequence. You know, one guy on fire would be great, two guys, but to have about twenty guys on fire, and then it was replicated, so it was like you know, ended up looking like there was much more. Um, and I think it was a world record at the time. Um, that's that's from one that I've watched that I was kind of you know not performing, but you know part of, and at least you know it looked amazing. The stunt guys did an incredible job, and that's obviously much harder because having that many people, obviously you know each person normally will have two people to put them out, you know, and a third one uh, as a backup, because obviously, even though we test the fire extinguishers before we go, there's always a chance you'll have a malfunction. So you have one main one, then a backup one. And then if for whatever reason, the flame doesn't go out and you're running out of obviously CO2, you need a backup. So it's about three people per person and also carrying a bucket of water. When you're looking at 20 people on fire and you're looking for your particular guy, it just looks like 20 guys on fire. Who's your guy? So you have to, you know, the preparation for that one, that's wow, probably yeah. one of the most, you know, that's probably one of the most um, spectacular and technical ones that I've been involved in. But then, you know, um, the Frankenstein one I still think is phenomenal because you also got the house, the actual, you know, the building on fire, which Man, adds yeah, another, everything had to be covered in fuel. It's so big. I mean, I mean, you know, so that again looks epic, and the fact that you know that it's a real person doing that, it's not CG, and you know, at the end of it, the mask comes off, round of applause. You go, wow, you know, it is it's. It's, it's, you know, people get burnt with sparklers, you know, uh, you know, or doing a bit of cooking at home. So you imagine you're covered from, you know, literally your toe to your head uh, in glue, flammable glue, then an accelerant on top, and you're running around bashing into stuff, holding your breath. <laughs> uh, you know, so I think any, any person that can, that can perform a fire, fire stunt to that level, um, you know, is, is awesome because it is, it's, it is probably one of the most dangerous stunts that you can do on a film. You know, and Amazing. it takes a whole team. It takes a whole team to obviously make sure that you're safe. You know, from the people that are preparing you, from special effects to your stunt team putting you out. You know, and the coordinator that's obviously running the floor. Because at the end of the day, it's the stunt coordinator that obviously has to organise everything and make sure that every single person knows what they're doing. You know, so yeah, incredible. Your, uh, Thank you, Pete. That's yeah, that was. <laughs> it very much has. I, even even having seen it happen as many times as I have, uh, I learned something. So I think uh, I think our listeners will be very pleased with that. Thank you for joining us, Pete. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Awesome. There well, you go. Yeah, I I haven't heard this. I'm sure it's great. I love Pete. So good stuff. Excellent. All right. Well, Dan, how can people follow you? I'm at Thirteen Finger FX on uh, both Twitter and Instagram. I've recently finished quite a run of work, so hopefully I'll be able to share some more stuff in the near future. But yeah, come come say hi. Recommend to me films, please. All right. Well, I am at Sam Ashurst on Twitter. I am at Sam Ashurst twenty three on Instagram. And I would like to say to you, Precious Arrowhead, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.